Welcome back to the Jasmine Star Show. I could not be more honored and more anticipatory. I just used a big word to start off this podcast to have a conversation with a amazing, brilliant, kind, thought-provoking woman by the name of Sonia Thompson. But let me back up the story a little bit. Let me set the stage. So I have an opportunity to speak at an event in Las Vegas. Very excited. The event coordinators send a post out on social media and I repurpose the post. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to be speaking at this event. And good and kind and wonderful Sonia Thompson, who has sent me direct messages in the past. And we have corresponded. So she's not quite a stranger. She says, Jasmine, girl, where is the color? Where is the diversity on that stage? And I thought to myself, That is a really good question. And it was a question I was unequipped to answer. And it was a question I was unequipped to ask the event host. But if you know me, I I just do things messy and I do things scrappy. So I immediately reached out to the event coordinator and I said, hey, you know, a couple of people have noticed that There's not a lot of diversity represented for the speakers of this event. And he had clarified it's a rolling out of keynote speakers, rolling out of speakers. It was just this is the first batch of people who were announced and things of that nature. But to me, there was an underlying thing that was about nobody else but me. And I thought to myself, I need to be equipped on not how to be reactive, but proactive about including people on my journey and making sure that there is representation. So my guest today is Sonia Thompson. She is an inclusive marketing strategist, consultant, and she's a coach. Now, she also helps businesses attract and retain diverse customers, okay, and talent. She writes for Inc. and Forbes, and she focuses on how brands can use inclusive marketing and belonging to create remarkable customer experiences. And she is no, no, no stranger to a podcast. She hosts the Inclusion and Marketing Podcast. I could not think of a better person to help guide me and I hope you on this conversation, I'm going to be an open book. I'm going to be the first to say I have a lot to learn, but I couldn't be more excited that I have a very good coach to guide us and me first and foremost, just me, just me. If you take anything from it, that's good. But this is going to be a little bit of a selfish conversation to say, Sonia, shape me in learning how to be a better advocate. So Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. Ooh, and you are a joy in and of yourself. So let's start off with the framework before we actually get into tactics, because I just don't want this to be tactics. I want there to be a deep understanding and a deep level of empathy. So what's the connection between belonging and our ability to attract and retain a diverse group of customers? Let's start with listeners first. Like this is beyond like, hey, help me get better. But like, what's the big reason here? Life is about belonging. And because of that, business is about belonging. So Mm. in life, as humans, as people, we are always looking for a place where we know that the people around us, they see us, they accept us, and they get us. I read Mm. something in Chris Brogan's book years ago. It was The Freak Shot Inherit the Earth. And he was saying that belonging is whenever you finally are able to exhale a breath that you didn't even know you were holding because you know that the people around you get you and Mm. not enough of us feel that on a regular basis. Mm. So we, because life is about belonging, 
business is about belonging because people aren't compartmentalizing that feeling. They want to feel it on a regular basis. So whenever it comes to the brands that we are engaging with, with the brands that we're giving our money to, a lot of times we are going to give it to those people who take the time to see us, to Mm. not treat us like an afterthought, not treat us like they just want our money, but they actually care about us as individuals as people, as people beyond the problem that their business helps us Mm -hmm. solve. And that's how you feel like you belong. And whenever people feel like they belong, they reward the business with their attention, their adoration, their loyalty. They tell all their friends, they stick around, they buy more of your stuff. Because in a lot of instances, People, particularly people who are part of underrepresented and underserved communities are used to being ignored. So whenever somebody does make them feel like they belong, they're not letting go anytime soon. Oh, that's, listen, if nothing else, if you want to be completely removed from the emotional part, the core, the value, the principle, even if you want to be removed from all of those things, what Sonia is saying is an agnostic approach of when you care about people, or at least it makes it look like you're including people, they stick with you. Wow. What a low, low, low bar. And yet so many of us don't hit it. Thank you for explaining just how low the bar is for us to say, hey, inclusion matters. So I want to talk a little bit more about the impact of it. Okay, so now that we're aware that by showing inclusion, people stick around, what's the impact of representation? And like conversely, not seeing yourself represented in visual imagery. So we hear the phrase a lot, representation matters. And people say it, and I think a lot of times people see it, they nod their head, they get it. But To make it real, representation or seeing yourself or who you aspire to be reflected in visual imagery or not has the power to impact how a person feels about themselves or what they even think is possible Mm. for themselves. So if you are somebody who is used to seeing yourself represented, um, you see yourself in visual imagery, you see yourself in movies, you see yourself in media, you see yourself in entrepreneurial circles, the thought might never cross your mind that I don't belong here or this Mm -hmm. isn't for me. But if you're somebody who's part of a group that is often not represented or misrepresented, you kind of are receiving these signals over time that say, this isn't for you. You don't belong here. So this isn't political at all, but think about whenever Vice President Kamala Harris was was sworn in, how parents and little girls were rejoicing because now they felt like their daughters could say, I can hold this office one day because they saw somebody who looked like them in that position. Conversely, um, a couple of years ago, Cosmopolitan UK put Tess Holiday on the cover of their magazine. And Tess Holiday is a plus size model. And there were people rejoicing all over the world. There were women rejoicing. One woman wrote on Twitter, if I had seen images like this growing up, it wouldn't have taken me 25 years to love my body, right? Mm. It, it, it has the power to show people that just as you are, people like you belong in this space, or it has a power to say, just as you are, people mm-hmm. like you don't Do belong not. here, right? And so it, pe- these signals are being sent, whether or not people are saying them, 
But images are always speaking, whether that's photography, whether that's who you've got in a speaker lineup, whether that's who you're having a video, whether that's the team, what you're showing um, on Instagram. It, it happens in every way. Images are always communicating. So it's just a matter of remembering. I did a study last year, the state of representation in marketing, and I asked people to write in, what is the thing that you want brands to know about representation? And someone wrote in, this is the one that stuck out to me the most. They said, I want them to know the harm they do by underrepresentation. And just Mm -hmm. to know that brands have power. You have power, no matter how big your brand is. If it's one person, you have power to make another person feel seen and like they belong um, and that they can do something. Um, And you also have the power to send them that signal that you don't belong here in this space at all. And neither do other people like you. So we have this conversation and we understand that we have the ability to include people and that our connection to belonging plays a role into that. And it could be extraordinarily advantageous for your business. But let's say somebody's sitting here listening and they're like, "Mm, yeah, but not sure. What if we were to paint a picture of the downside? Like what happens if we don't participate in events that aren't diverse or advocate for brands that aren't representative? Like what happens then? If you're participating in events that aren't diverse, one, let's say I'm walking around and I see a conference, I see a brand that doesn't do a very good job of representation. I might roll my eyes. I might be annoyed, but I'm going to keep it moving. I'm somebody who, for the most part, I'm used to this type of thing. So I don't necessarily get so bothered. Other people might, but if I see somebody or brand, a personality, um, an influencer that I have a relationship with or that I know, like, and trust, and then I see them collaborating with, participating, partnering with an organization that feels like they couldn't be bothered to make me feel seen or make people like me feel seen, then suddenly I might question my relationship with this person that I knew, liked, and trust and wonder did we have the type of relationship that I thought did we have? I know I felt like they saw me and they valued me, but do they really? Or is this something that they're just saying is lip service? So we don't, we, after we spend all this time working to build relationships with people, to build trust, to then associate with an organization that doesn't do the same thing. It's kind of like guilty by association and it has the ability to erode that trust that you've built inadvertently. You're not intending to do it, but sometimes Mm. the damage can be done in that regard. A second thing to consider is sometimes, well, a lot of times, in a lot of cases, if we are not using our power and our privilege to disrupt and dismantle systems that are oppressive to other people, we are upholding them. We Mm. are contributing it to them, not proactively, but by not taking action, we perpetuate the cycle. So even if we don't intend to make people to feel invisible or not seen, even if we don't intend to cause harm to other people, sometimes by not using our privilege, we contribute to that happening. And that's in most instances, most people don't want to do that at all, but it is the, ultimately the impact. 
Mm. I remember reading a, a story on Instagram and this was one of the very first times that something truly shifted and clicked for me. And the story goes that uh, Billie Holiday wanted to be singing in a club in Hollywood and black performers were not allowed. And it wasn't until an ally, Marilyn Monroe, advocated for her presence at the club and backed up her request for her presence at the club to sing. And Marilyn said, I will sit front row. I will be there every week watching her perform. And the club relented on on the idea that Marilyn would go because of her pool. And so what Marilyn did was she stepped in to say, I'm not just going to ask, I'm actually going to participate. And I saw something there and I'm like, how do I start mapping my actions to become definitely not Marilyn Monroe like in any way, <laughs> shape or form, but to say like open up, not just with a request, but with action. So I know that we're going to get into a couple tactical things, but people are, might be listening and they're like, yeah, but Jasmine's speaking at a conference and I don't speak at conferences. Where else can we use this framework for what you're going to walk me through and how to make proper requests or ask questions in advance? What other things outside of conferences? Sure. Um, so conferences, of course, um, are a big one. Those are virtual events. Those are one day's events. Those are speaking events. But there are also podcasts. So a lot of times, a lot of people are looking for guests on their shows, but there are times where you might listen to a podcast and over time, you're like, hey, none of these guests kind of have my experience, have my lived experience. None of them are like mm, me. Why is it good. that none of the experts that are featured on this show are like me? That's a very common one that I think that people forget about, but it does influence and impact the what it is that you're putting out, who you're featuring, who you're saying is an expert, who you're collaborating with. Maybe let's say you're doing Instagram lives. Let's say you're promoting different people's content. You're um, promoting their programs. Uh, let's say you're sharing people's content. Mm -hmm. It's all about thinking about your circle of influence. Are you sharing content of the same type of people over and over again? Or are you sharing the content of people who are a broad variety of voices. And that is just simple things that you can do is think about who are the guests that I'm featuring on my show? Mm. What are the types of sh shows that I'm going on? How, what is their track record? Whose content am I sharing? Who am I collaborating with? Who am I learning from? Um, because that opens up doors to a lot of different ideas and things, ways that you can think about whose imagery am I showcasing? Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Once you kind of start going down mm -hmm. the rabbit hole, you mm -hmm. start to see more and more opportunities. Ooh, so good. Okay. So anybody who's listening, and here's the thing, even if it doesn't quite apply to you now, you're like, nobody, like, I, nobody really wants me doing an Instagram live. No, I'm not doing podcasts, but Sonia did say the type of content that we're sharing. And somebody might say, yes, but I don't even share anybody else's content. Okay, fine. But what we want to do is if we want to continue to grow our businesses and brands, these opportunities, it's not a matter of if, but when. So how do we best prepare? Because I think that what, candidly speaking, what comes up for me is like, if somebody invites me to speak at an event, like I'm honored, like, yeah. wow, great, right. cool. Right. And then all of a sudden I come with like a pushback and like, how do I approach it with respect to the invitation to reflect the honor, but also ask some questions that really matter to me? How do I do that? Okay. First and foremost, even before you get the invitation, the idea is to decide what does a representative or a diverse conference look like to you? Each person is going to have a different definition of what that is, right? So just 
take a few minutes and pause in your mind. What degrees or dimensions of diversity are most important to you? And have that picture of what it is that you would like to see whenever you're going to a conference. So for me, I really love to see Black women. It's important for me to see Black women. Um, I like to see diversity on other fronts, but if I don't see a Black woman, something just feels off and lacking to me. For other people, it might be just, I want to see gender parity. There should be equal amounts of women as there are men. I spoke at a conference a couple of years ago and I was looking at um, their speaker lineup and I thought it was super diverse. But then I saw on Twitter afterwards, one woman was like, listen, all the speakers at this conference, it was a digital marketing conference, were really young. She's like, I'm 45 and up. Ageism is real. I felt invisible. And she was imploring the conference to do Mm. better. So for her, age was something that was important. For some people, it's body size. For some people, it's part of the LGBTQ plus community. For other people, it's they want to see people with disabilities. Each person is going to have their own thing or a couple of dimensions that are most important to them. So you just have to decide for you, for mm-hmm. your organization, mm-hmm. what is that? What mm-hmm. is your standard? It doesn't have to be, oh, 50%, 30%, 20 It doesn't have to be that. It can be a very loose guideline, but have an idea of this is the type of thing that I want to see to make me feel comfortable to take this stage. Mm, that's really good. And I think that the percentage of audience listeners who are actually hosting events might feel the anxiety of being like, wait a minute, Sonia just said, black women <laughs> equal amounts to men and women. We want some plus size. We want some uh, no ageism. We want um, disabilities. We want perhaps like gender or um, non-binary or LGBT. <laughs> and so all of a sudden these event coordinators are like, what in the world? So what I hear, and it's an inference, so I want you to co-sign or not or tear it apart. But as somebody who's going to participate in an event, you must define what you define as diversity. And it's like a loose, it's a loose thing. And for Sonia, it's, I want to see a black woman represented. Mm-hmm. Now, as an event coordinator, you might say, we need X and Y. And by saying we need X and Y, you will exclude the Z's and you will exclude the A's, but you have to just become okay with it. You're like, we're trying our best. We will right. aspire for other things, but this is what it is for now. So that at a later point in time, when somebody is on Twitter and said, you know what? I didn't see any Z's. You're like, I hear you. That wasn't our goal or first, mm-hmm. first round initiative now. Is right. that what you're kind of saying too? Absolutely. Because I want to, I want to be clear. Inclusive marketing does not mean that you have to include everybody. That is a very tall order and it's kind of daunting for a lot of people and it Mm. kind of keeps them stuck and they don't move forward because I'm like, oh, how do I do that? Inclusive marketing is all about acknowledging the people that you serve are different. We're all different in some way, shape or form. And then intentionally choosing what are the differences that you are going to serve in your business that you want to be very specific of like, I want these people, these particular people to feel like they belong here. And then incorporating them into your marketing mix. It's a very difficult thing to serve everybody. But then Mm -hmm. once you choose, these are the types of people we want to make sure that we serve, then owning it and standing by it, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are going to be sometimes people that you're going to leave out. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's okay as long as you've been intentional about your choices and then know that you can stand by it. So HubSpot, for instance, a couple of years ago with their inbound conference, they worked very hard to achieve 
gender parity on their stage. And because they were very intentional about it, they achieved it. And I believe that they've achieved gender parity every year since then. They also are working to diversify from a racial diversity, the types of speakers that they've had on stage, but they had to start somewhere, right? Mm. But they've been able to do that and they've been able to evolve and get better at it over time. And one of the really fascinating things that I loved about it um, is as they were talking about their experience, they said, we noticed that once we started diversifying the speakers that we had on the stage, our audience got more diverse mm. as well. They started reaching a broader group of people because more people realized, oh, this conference is for me too. Mm, I love that. So oftentimes, more often than not, the vast majority is I'm asked to speak and I'm making this about me. Ooh, I'm being a little selfish. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm asked to speak at an, at an event and they won't disclose who else is on the docket or who they're in conversations with because oftentimes contracts aren't signed. Do you have any like scripts or like, what do I say to say like, yes, I'm excited to speak at this conference, but can I ensure that there is whatever I define as diversity represented? Mm-hmm. So a great way to open this conversation and have a dialogue is whenever you get the request before you respond, yes, no, I'm available. You can send a simple note back um, and say, hey, diversity and representation is important to me. Could you let me know what are you all doing to ensure representation of the speaker lineup? They can either decide to share who they've already confirmed, who they're in talks with, or they could say something simpler like, our commitment is to have 50% gender diversity, or our commitment is to have this many people of um, people from Black, Indigenous, or people of color, right? They can say those types of things of even targets that they have. That gives you a signal that they even thought about it, mm. that they're trying, that they're mm. making an effort. Um, but if you if they don't want to share it, but that sets the tone for them mm-hmm. right away that this is your expectation if they want you to be a part of the event. Everybody has a choice, right? You can right. choose to be a part of it. They can choose to say, you know what, Jasmine, no thanks. But it's setting the expectation that representation has to be a part, inclusion has to be a part of the planning process if they want you to be a part of it. Mm. So when I think about this, uh, oftentimes I am asked, where does one go to find more options when it comes to getting guests on a podcast or recommending another speaker. Because if somebody said like, hey, if I had expressed it matters to me, and they're like, oh, well, we're finding a gap in the market for speakers for X. I'm like, hey, this is a great place. So this is a great resource to look for qualified candidates to speak on that topic or subject matter experts. Do you know of anything like that? Like where might somebody go? There, there is a resource. Um, I will have to find it and I'll send it to, to you if you want to include it in the show notes. Show notes there thank is you. one that's got like a list of um, speakers on various topics. I think this is BIPOC speakers in particular. However, the way to combat this, because this is a common objection that sometimes people will give or conference organizers will have. We don't know anybody who is part of this community that we could include. And mm-hmm. The way to avoid that is to diversify your circle of influence because more and more people aren't accepting that as an excuse or an explanation. People aren't giving passes that you didn't know. Um, So what their expectation is, is that you should proactively say, these are the numbers that we're trying to hit. 
these are the people that we want to make sure feel seen and that we're going to serve. So if we want to make sure that we hit these numbers, how can we build our network today, a year in advance, six months in advance, so that we've got people who are part of these communities that we want to be able to serve, that whenever it comes time to put things together, we have a pretty good working list or we have people that we know that we can tap into who know Mm. other people. The the challenge is, is that a lot of times people are reaching out to their friends. They're reaching out to people that they know. But the problem with that is most people's networks look like them. It's, there's actually a scientific term for this. It's called homophily. And really it just means birds of a feather flock together. We hang out with people who are like us. Our friends think like us, have backgrounds that are similar than us. And it just continues to perpetuate the cycle. So if we want to have a broader network of people who we can tap into or are part of different communities, particularly the communities that we want to serve, we have to be intentional. There's that wording in intentional about actively working to build and cultivate a network of people who are parts of these communities. And the more we build Mm. and strengthen those networks, the more people we have access to, the more people become top of mind, the more we're actively going to be thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. It just becomes more of a muscle that you gets worked automatically versus something that, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. I didn't think about it until the last minute. Oh, that's so good. So can you tell me a little bit, how did you get into this space? How did you become such an advocate? How did you find your voice to advocate for others? So I'm a marketer by training and I spent a lot of time, um, I'm coming on approaching 20 years in marketing. Um, But more so, I think this really started to become important to me because of the differences that I have. So I'm a black woman. I spent four years living in Argentina. That's where I met and married my Spanish-speaking Argentine husband. We have a mixed-race bilingual baby. We relocated Mm. to the U.S. last year. So now Jonathan is an immigrant. So seeing the world through Mm. his eyes. Um, I follow a gluten-free diet for health reasons. Um, I battle autoimmune disorders. I'm left-handed. There have been, because of all these differences over the course of my entire life, I've experienced what it feels like to be excluded, to not Mm. feel seen, to feel like an afterthought. And uh, there's been a lot of frustration associated with that. Um, But then I've also seen the euphoria that comes whenever someone just takes the time to add gluten-free options to their menu Amen. at a restaurant. Amen, girl. <laughs> As a fellow gluten-free, like I am just like, thank you. Thank you for taking the 0.002% of this menu to be accommodating. I appreciate that. I absolutely, do. Absolutely. And making it so it doesn't taste gluten-free. That's right. <laughs> Cardboard with some sauce is not fun. It's just no, not fun. No, no. But when you combine all these experiences that are my life, it's what I live on a day-to-day basis that has just made me such an advocate for belonging. And I really, I want everybody, I believe firmly that everybody deserves to feel like they belong. So Mm. I want to make sure that I'm using my power and that I am helping other people use their power to make sure that more people feel like they do. Mm. Sonia, thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for sharing your gift. Thank you for empowering us and not saying you're doing it wrong. 
You're saying there's an invitation to perhaps consider a different way that includes a lot more people. That approach, your intention, and how you reach out to others is unmatched and unrivaled. I am humbled by the time that you took to educate me privately. I am humbled that you're taking your time and investment in teaching me and along with tens of thousands of others listeners. Your investment in this moment will not come back void. I just want to say thank you a thousand times over. I look forward to standing next to you and slightly behind you, champion for multi-versions of diversity in our own way, at our own time, to be more inclusive over time. I appreciate you. How can people go deeper with your podcast, with your resources? Just dig deep in the Sonia Thompson world. Uh, sure. Thank you. Um, it's been my pleasure and joy to be here. Um, you can find me over at inclusivemarketing.co. I appreciate you. Thank you, Queen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.